Uh, so today, um, today marks the celebration of one of the most um, extraordinary events on the Christian calendar. Interestingly, it also marks perhaps one of the most ironic moments in human history. And it's that we're going to take a look at today as we pre prepare our hearts for uh, Resurrection Sunday next week. We want to kind of take a step back and consider that week right before Christ risen, being risen from the dead and, so, and look at what we know as Palm Sunday, uh, that, that monumental moment where Christ entered into Jerusalem um, so many years ago. Uh, it's an event that is loaded with emotion. It's an event that is loaded with tremendous excitement and enthusiasm and, and hope. It's also a moment that is riddled with much irony and perhaps even some disappointment. In fact, this moment was so significant that the prophet, the prophet Zechariah prophesied about this event 530 years prior to Christ entering into the city of Jerusalem. It is recorded in all four of the gospel accounts. Matthew covers it in Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19, and, G and um, John chapter 12. And for today, we're going to look at Palm Sunday, the entrance of Jesus into the city streets of Jerusalem, looking at it through the lens of Matthew's gospel. And so if you have your Bibles with you, uh, you could turn with me to Matthew uh, chapter 21. And um, before we jump into the text, it's, it's important to, to really appreciate the context of all that's going on surrounding this event. It's important to know that, that this is taking place in the city of Jerusalem during the Jewish feast. And this is very significant because the Jews from all around the world would gather at this time of the year and celebrate the feast together like they had done for many, many years before. And so it is at this moment that all the Jews are gathering together and the city of Jerusalem was packed. It was the stage was being set for a tremendous display of praise to Christ. Surely the buzz about Jesus was being whispered and spoken all throughout the city streets of Jerusalem. They heard about this miracle rabbi. They heard about the blind eyes that were opening. They heard about the deaf ears that Jesus would, would, would uh, allow to hear again. They heard about the cripples that were now walking and the, the dumb that were now speaking. Those who were in demonic bondage were set free by his word. They heard the story of, of Lazarus being in the tomb three days and Jesus raising him from the dead. They also heard about the contrast of Jesus' teaching with that of the religious leaders. They said about Jesus, nobody's ever taught like he did. His words were in much contrast, not contradicting, but the spirit of what he'd said would be, was unlike anything they had ever heard before. These 
this time in the ministry of Jesus, his favor was at an all-time high. And in the midst of all of this, in the midst of all of the celebrating, in the midst of all of this excitement, Jesus fulfills the words spoken by the prophet Zechariah 530 years earlier as he enters into the city streets of Jerusalem. Could you place yourself on scene for a moment? Historians tell us that no less than two million people were present for this event. Matthew 21 in verse one, now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethage, to the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. Those are the words from Zechariah. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. Now most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered into Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Could you imagine what it must have been like? Matthew records that all of the city said, who is this? The focus moved from the feast to the presence of Jesus coming in to the city of Jerusalem. And they cried out, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Could you imagine what it must have been like to be in the audience that day? I can tell you there was no social distancing going on in the city streets of Jerusalem. As they were packed shoulder to shoulder as this crowd cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. John's record of this event tells us that there was also a large crowd of people that came not only to see Jesus, but to see Lazarus, who Jesus rose from the dead after being in the tomb three days. They heard the story of Lazarus and they wanted to see this once dead man now walking again. And so the stir in the streets was clearly on seeing what Jesus had done and how he had manifest himself and the power of God that was on display. The city of Jerusalem was packed that day. Clearly the stage was being set for the entrance of the king of kings. But it wasn't the kind of king that they were cheering for. It wasn't the kind of king they were cheering for. 
which sets the stage for the irony of that moment. You see, they sought an earthly king. They sought a ruler, a warrior that would gather the people who would see how this moment of popularity can be capitalized upon and they could overthrow the rulers of the day and Jesus can establish himself as the king. Finally, our guy is on the scene. We've got the message, we've got the miracles, we've got the people. Surely this is the time for Jesus to establish himself as king over all, but they didn't realize. Their sights were just too short. Their hopes were, were too limited. Their dreams were far too temporary, far too earthly. Because the irony of this moment is seen as they cry out and await Jesus to become a king. They fail to recognize that Jesus was already a king. And he was not just a king over the, of the people that were there, but he was a king over all of creation, over everything that he spoke into existence. He surely was the king of kings and the Lord of Lords. And so Palm Sunday goes down in history as one of the most ironic moments of all time. You see, they cheered the right king, but they longed for the wrong kingdom. They cheered for the right guy, they cheered for the right king, but they longed for the wrong kingdom. And as they cheered with their lips, their hearts, were far from God's heart. It was ironic because what they wanted was a temporary king in a temporary kingdom. And they failed to realize that the one that was before them was the king of the universe. Luke, in his account of this moment, mentions that as Jesus drew near the city, as Jesus heard the cries of the people, as Jesus saw the display of emotion, as Jesus saw the way in which they waved their palm branches and, and cast their cloaks on the ground, as Jesus entered into the city streets, Luke records that he began to weep. Why? Because he knew that those who cheered him on this Sunday would cry out, crucify him. Just five days later, he knew that what was going, coming out of their lips was not consistent with what was going on in their hearts. They wanted an earthly king. Jesus is king over all. And so as we consider this scene, there, there are so many angles in which we can look at this account, this narrative that all four of the gospels presents before us. I find the longer, the longer you're in ministry, the more you desire to take what is a familiar passage and certainly not change the content, but seek to present it in a way that might be fresh and, and new and exciting. And, and these are one of those passages. And usually you do that by presenting different angles through the different authors. And there's a lot of perspectives. There's a lot of points of view that you can kind of look at this scene through the lens of. 
We can look at this through the prophet's point of view. Those who foretold of this event centuries before its reality. In fact, we see the whisper of the one who was going to come as early on in Genesis and prophet after prophet after prophet would point to the one who was going to come. In fact, a student of the, of the Old Testament, if they were really sincerely looking, would have recognized that that specific day in which Jesus showed up in Jerusalem was spoken of and pointed to with precision accuracy that on that day, their Messiah would enter into Jerusalem. They could have looked at this from the crowd's point of view and they could try to sense what was the crowd seeing? What was the crowd feeling? How did they respond to this one who was unlike any other leader? We can look at this scene from the lens of the, of the crowd and catch into the excitement of the moment. And, or we can look at this from the point of the view of the disciples and wondering, what is this going to mean for them? Are they going to... Rule and reign with him as Jesus perhaps might set up his kingdom. I mean, they might have been looking and saying, Jesus, this is the time. Or could you imagine looking at this from the, the point of view of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, as they heard the cheers and, 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 the, and the cries of the, of the people, as they saw the religious loyalty of the people shift from them to Jesus, I'm sure they saw their influence dissipating before their very eyes. We certainly could have looked at this from Jesus' point of view, hearing the cries of the people and yet knowing their hearts are far from him, knowing that those who cried out Hosanna one day would cry out crucify him the next, knowing that their rejection of him as the Messiah was going to bring consequences unlike the Jews had ever experienced in AD 70 when Rome would overthrow and destroy the temple and thousands and millions of Jews would be slaughtered. All of these are great discussions. All of these we can learn much from. But for today, I want us to kind of take a look at this from perhaps a less likely character in this narrative. This morning, I want to take a look at this from the donkey's point of view. Here we go. Pastor Tom always sees the right picture up there. The title of my message this morning is The Donkey's point of view. Now you can imagine I had a whole bunch of other creative names that we could have went with, but I just thought, you know, it's just probably not worth all the emails I'll get in response. And so you could just be as creative as you want. If it was a men's fellowship or, you know, um, or a smaller group, I might've gone there, but um, we're just going to leave it there with the donkey's um, point of view. And I think that if we, how many are willing to be, how many are willing to learn a lesson from a donkey? I think we can see some things in this donkey about the Lord and about this choice animal that was chosen that we might be able to apply to ourselves. And so we're going to kind of go through them pretty quickly and, and, and maybe we, you can see where you might land uh, in this, um, this story here. 
And so we see this, this amazing um, uh, prophetic moment being unfolded before us, right? And we see the first thing that, that takes place is Jesus sends his disciples to a very specific place to get this donkey. See, here's the thing. Jesus knew where the donkey was located. I like that. He says, listen, go into the village and in front of you, as, as the moment you enter into the village, immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Right? Immediately, Jesus knew specifically where this donkey was located. Luke says, Jesus said, and in front of you, when you enter into the city, you'll see this donkey. It wasn't like Jesus is saying, just grab any donkey you see. No, there was a very specific donkey that Jesus knew where this was specifically located. The point is very simple. Jesus knew the precise location of the donkey. And I want to remind you this morning that wherever you may be, no matter how confused you may feel, Jesus knows where you're at. He knows where you're at geographically. He knows where you're at spiritually. He knows where you're at relationally. He knows where you're at emotionally. Jesus knows your address. If he knew where the donkey was, listen, he knows where you are. And I find great comfort in that. Secondly, we see that it was not just any ordinary donkey, but it was a specific donkey. It was a donkey that was handpicked and chosen by God. It wasn't like Jesus said, listen, they don't just head into the streets. First thing you see, just grab it by the neck, bring it over to me. No, it wasn't an ordinary, arbitrary find, but it was a specific handpicked donkey chosen by Jesus. There's a specific donkey, and as soon as you get into the city, it's going to be tied up. It's going to be next to a cult. That's the one I want. That's the one I picked. That's the one I have a plan for. Bring it to me. And can I tell you this morning that you too are handpicked by God? He knows your address and he has chosen you to be his. Peter tells us that you and I are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special people. You are not, listen, you are not an arbitrary find by God. He went after you. He knew your location. He knew your address and he knew how to woo you to himself. You are not an arbitrary find and you'll not be a, a quick loss because he's got you. He says, when you get into this precise location, you will see a specific donkey that I have chosen. It will be tied up. It will be held captive or owned and under the control of another. Very interesting here. The third thing we see about this donkey is that Jesus says, I want you to loose that donkey and bring it to me. You see, apparently somebody had a different plan for this donkey. But Jesus changed the plan. This donkey was under the control and the ownership of somebody else. But Jesus said, loose it and bring it to me. Can I tell you that I too was held captive? 
I too was under the bondage of sin. I too had things that I had to work through, things that held me in bondage and captive. But Jesus knows how to loose that which holds me. He steps into my life and he handpicks me and he calls me and he says, you're mine. I've got a plan and a purpose for you. You don't need to be held captive by anything. Break that bondage, untie that one and bring him to me. Paul said, in Romans 6, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you've become slaves on righteousness. The power of the gospel breaks the bondage of sin. It breaks the bondage of addictions and strongholds and those things that hold us captive. Only Jesus and the blood of Jesus can break that. Untie him and bring him to me. And now I am his. Ownership has been transferred. I just want to just share just a brief moment. I mentioned this in the first service. I'll do it here though. When I was a little boy, my, my dad was an alcoholic. We grew up in the home. My dad was a wonderful man. Many of you know him, but before he came to Christ, he struggled with alcohol. And I used to have this reoccurring dream all the time when I was a little boy. I used to have this dream. It was, and you ever have reoccurring dreams? Like it's just, it's one of those, it just keeps coming back. Well, I used to have this ongoing reoccurring dream that I was in like this jungle. It was very dark. And my dad was tied to a tree. And there was fire all around him and he was being tortured. And he was held in bondage. And then years later, we had come to Christ. And God got a hold of his heart. And, and it was amazing how, how God broke that bondage of alcoholism in his life. And you know what? I never had that dream again. It was almost like God was showing me that, that he's held captive by sin, but Jesus set him free. And he gave all of his life to Christ. And it was like, it was just in a moment of time that God set him free and transformed his life. He was an elder in our church and he's impacted the lives of so many of us, of us here. And now he's in the presence of, of Jesus. But I look back and I think, and I see how Jesus steps in to our lives and he knows how to break that tie, that bondage when we're under the control of another and make us his own. I'm his ownership. I'm his ownership is transferred. Mark and Luke's recollection of this event tells us that Jesus said, you'll find a cult. Look, and he says, and when you find this one, it's one on which nobody has ever sat. I like that. One in which nobody has ever sat. You see, we see the donkey was, was kept for the Lord. This was a donkey set aside for the purposes of God. He was kept for the Lord. And you know, once we are his, we need to remember that we are not in the possession of anybody else. We are kept by him. He declares ownership over our life. And you know what? His ownership comes with all the blessing and fulfillment and purpose that we were designed to experience as his creation. 
We are kept by him. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, for I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. Jesus knows how to keep us. Jude, in closing out his letter, says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you, I love this, faultless before the presence of God with great joy. We see the donkey was kept for the Lord. We also see that this donkey was set aside for a sacred purpose. It's very interesting if you read this story and, and, and really what Jesus is saying to his disciples is I want you to go into the town and you're gonna see somebody else's donkey I want you to untie somebody else's donkey and bring it to me. It just sounded like Jesus just told the disciples to lift somebody's ride. <laughs> right? It's like, wait a second. That wasn't, that wasn't, that wasn't Jesus' to begin with. Right? You're going to go into town, you're going to see somebody else's donkey. Now, for you and I, that, that, I mean, that sounds pretty shocking. Be like, imagine I said to you, Rich, do me a favor. I just head down to the parking lot, and there's like this really nice Maserati that's over there. And I just want you to just bring it to me. Uh, and, and if anyone asks you about it, just tell them, you know, Pastor Tony has need of it, right? We'd call that a crime, right? We'd call that stealing. Well, in this particular case, in this culture, that wasn't really what was going on here. There was a custom called Angaria. And Angaria meant that, that if, if a religious leader had a need for um, an item to be used for sacred purposes, they could commandeer that animal and they can use that. And the people who owned it were actually took great joy in the fact that their animal was being used for sacred purposes. That's why Jesus said to them, listen, when you go and they ask you, what are you doing? Just say to them, the Lord has need of it. And they'd be like, all right, cool, take it, right? And so we see that this donkey was, was set aside for sacred purposes. And you too have been set aside for sacred purposes. You have been picked by God for a reason. Life is, is about more than just kind of going through the motions and just getting by. You were created for a purpose and on purpose. God has a plan and purpose for your life so that we would walk in the blessing and the design that he has for us. You were set aside for sacred purposes. So what are some of those purposes? Why? Have we been set aside by God for a sacred purpose? And what is that purpose? Well, perhaps as we consider the, the function of the donkey, perhaps we can see our role there as well. The sixth thing we see about this donkey is that Jesus, when, jump, when going on the back of the donkey, propped Jesus up higher, for the, higher up in the crowd. You see, the donkey served the purpose of making Jesus more visible to the crowd. The donkey served the purpose of making Jesus more visible to the crowd. As Jesus sat upon that donkey, he was elevated above everybody else, and so Jesus became more visible to the crowd. Isn't that our responsibility? 
Isn't that what you and I are called by God to do, to make Jesus more visible to the world around us? It's John the Baptist saying, I must decrease and he must increase. You see, what's more important than the donkey is the one the donkey is carrying, is the one that is becoming more visible to the crowd. The role of the donkey was not to be seen. The role of the donkey was to ensure that Jesus was, be able, was able to be seen. And that's our responsibility as well, to get out of the way, to make Jesus more visible to the world around us, whether that be at our dinner table or on your job or in your school or in your community. Our responsibility and our opportunity is to make Jesus more visible to the crowd. And I think it's a great thing for us to ponder as we look at our life and we begin to examine our own hearts, maybe in the quietness of our own heart and wonder, Jesus, do people see me more than they see you? What am I, what am I putting out there for people to see? The other primary function of the donkey, in addition to making Jesus more visible to the crowd, was that the role of the donkey was to take Jesus to the crowd. First, it was to make him more visible. And then secondly, it was to take Jesus to the crowd. Think of this one on whom this donkey carried to the crowd. This was no ordinary teacher. This was not just some miracle man. This was very God of very God. This one doesn't need our help. He doesn't need our input. He doesn't need our advice. We just need to carry him to the crowd so that they may drink from him, that they might receive from him, that they might find hope and healing in him. It's not that Jesus needs us to do it, but he invites us to bring Jesus to the crowd. We get to be co-laborers with Christ in this gospel narrative. And think about this. And we have been set aside for the sacred purpose of raising him up so others can see. And we have been set aside for the bring, to bring Jesus to the crowd. And just think of this Jesus whom we bring. The one that, that, that Paul, in writing to the church at Colossae, says this Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and all things were created for him. And he is before all things and in him, in Jesus, he holds all things together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He is over all things, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Do you see the one that we have opportunity to bring to the crowd is the, is the solution to man's biggest dilemma. 
Our problem in our world today is not division. It's not a pandemic. It's not racism. It's not politics. The biggest problem in our world today is that our world needs Jesus. It is in him that hope comes. It is in him that healing comes and fulfillment is found. And you and I have been commissioned by God, invited to participate in the greatest of stories, to make Jesus more visible and to bring him to the crowd. Another thing we see about this donkey is this donkey was all in. He was all in. You know, the gospel records that as Jesus entered the city, people would spread their cloaks on the road before him. Matthew records that in verse six of chapter 21. He says the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They got the donkey and the colt. And they brought the donkey and the colt and they put on them their cloaks. And he, Jesus, sat on them. Look, and most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Could you imagine what that scene must have looked like? I think Hollywood really ruined it for a lot of us because for a lot of us, we see that scene and we see one or two people kind of throwing their cloak on the road. But you know what? It says millions of people were present that day. And look, he says, most of the crowd began to wave branches and throw their cloaks on the ground. Could you imagine? Imagine what that space must have looked like. It probably looked like your teenager's room, right? <laughs> Cloaks spread all over the place and Jesus comes entering into the city and they're waving these palm branches. What's going on with these palm branches? Palm branches was what they would do, the people would do when a king would return back to the city after being victorious in battle. They would, raise, they would wave these palm branches and then also what was going on as they began to throw these cloaks on the ground. It wasn't like it was a rock concert, everybody kind of just throwing all their garments at the, at, the, at, at the band that was up there. What was going on was very significant. As they were throwing these cloaks on the ground, what they were ultimately saying is, I'm throwing my life before you. I am all in, I'm willing to die for you. Most of the crowd No wonder it was such an ironic moment. No wonder those gestures from the people brought tears to the eyes of Jesus because he knew their hearts were so far from him. But these cloaks represented their lives. It represented their loyalty and their promise to the king that they were all in which is why this event was so ironic, because they were not all in. And the question we need to answer ourselves is, are we? Are we all in for the cause of Christ? What does that look like? What can I point to? What behavior, what pattern, what priority can I point to in my own life, not to others, but internally and to God that would suggest I am all in? Because to the degree that we are all in on Christ is the degree that we walk in the blessings and purpose and fulfillment that Christ brings. We, like the donkey, have been handpicked. We've been set aside for sacred purposes and called to make Jesus more visible to the crowd in which we are to bring him to. 
Are we all in? Another thing we see about this donkey is the donkey had a teammate. The donkey wasn't alone. The ninth thing we, we learn from this donkey is it's only recorded in Matthew's gospel, but I find it kind of significant here. It, Jesus says, go into the village in front of you and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. There's not one animal there, but two animals are present. Again, only Matthew records this and, and the clear speculation here is that the mayor was there possibly to induce the donkey to go. Maybe the donkey wouldn't have gone by himself, but maybe the presence of the colt that was there induced him to follow along. You know, sometimes we need the encouragement of one another to fulfill God's purposes for our life. God creates a community of people and gives us one another to lean on one another, learn from one another, to provoke one another with good works. And as we see these two animals, one motivating the other, we don't know, I am reminded of how God designed the body, that we're better together, that we're better together. And so as we, as we gather together, we, we must remember that God has designed us in such a way that the church is to be gathered together. I know we're in the midst of a pandemic and I know that pandemic has, has reached people in different ways and there's all kinds of areas that we need to be sensitive to one another. But listen, there's a point at which we need to come together and we need to say, all right, we're gathering because the church is designed to flourish and grow when the church is together. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the habit of some is, the writer of Hebrews says. We're better together. The last thing we see in this donkey is this, that the donkey surrendered to the plan. He surrendered the, to the plan. The last lesson we can learn from this donkey is that despite its nature to be stubborn and not go where it doesn't want to go, he went where he was led to go. Now, you might not have related to anything else I've said today, but that when you talk about and hear about a stubborn donkey, maybe that might resonate a little bit. But this donkey surrendered to the plan. You see, it's one thing to be handpicked and set aside and, and called, but it's another thing altogether to heed the call and obey him and follow him. And you know, Jesus has called each and every one of us. He has commissioned you and I as he, is ascending, as he ascends into heaven. He spoke those words, go into all the world and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, not only does Jesus send us on mission, but Jesus goes on mission with us. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Will we take the lead and be willing to learn from a donkey and commit to be taking Jesus to the crowd. To get out of the way so that the world can see Jesus. To be willing to decrease so that he might increase. And may we answer the call together as, as the local expression of the church of God worldwide to, to fulfill God's plan and purposes for us as individuals 
and as the church of Jesus Christ. There's a lot we can learn from a donkey as we consider it from his point of view. Father, thanks for your word. Lord, thank you for the richness of your word, how it applies to every one of our lives, that it's timeless. It speaks to our now as if it was just written. I pray that you challenge our hearts beyond our gathering right now. Allow your word to challenge us all throughout our day that we would live this out and make you proud in all we do. In Christ's name we pray, amen.